0: welcome to the second series of Let's Go Kick-Ass Today. I'm your host, Vicky Carter, and I get to interview incredibly kick-ass people from the fields of music, adventure, and culture. So if you want to feel empowered and inspired, you've come to the right place. My first guest on this episode is Nicholas McCarthy, the talented pianist and motivational speaker. He tells me how he used negativity and rejection to spur on his dreams even further to achieve them and make music history.
1: I bounced back quite quick from that first negativity and almost used that negativity as I'll prove you wrong. It kind of fired me up even more. Made me practice harder.
0: I also chat to the author Vessi Agogo via L. De Wulu
2: about her book. Who do I see in the mirror, and why diversity should be celebrated? From children, if they're able to see differences from a young age, they you grow up to love people to under, at least understand it and they understand that we're all human inside we're all the same finally i speak to jeff Els from the action sports school team
0: rubicon he tells me how skateboarding plays a vital role in the community
3: i always tell them getting things wrong is fine especially you're going to get things wrong loads by that time don't give up that's not because you're bad you're just a beginner so i think that's my kind of one of my favorite things is giving young people a few bits of advice that maybe hopefully a few will listen to and you've done a good job for young people.
0: First up, I speak to talented pianist and motivational speaker Nicholas McCarthy and ask him what inspired him to start playing the piano.
1: I had an interest at 14 when I saw my friend play the piano in my school assembly. And she's an amazing, amazing classical pianist. She's now actually James Bay's session musician and Kate Tempest, the poet's um, keys. And she plays with Katie Tunstall and all these big stars and things like that. And that's So she's gone into like the pop kind of world now. But she's an amazing classical pianist and she she played in my school assembly and I just fell in love with everything to do with the piano. Everything to do with the music, the look of the piano as a piece of furniture, everything. And with probably a bit of teenage naivety and teenage invincibility at the age of 14, decided, despite the fact I only have one hand, that I was going to earn my living of playing the piano.
0: Wow, that's incredible, that real fierce determination and strength. Um, You were told that you'd never make it as a concert pianist. How did you overcome this and how did you feel when you were told that?
1: I've been very used to um, being put in boxes throughout my whole life or being told X, Y or Z, you know, you can't do this, you can't do that. Not by my parents, my parents have been hugely, you know, hugely influential in making sure that I have the attitudes that I can do something so when I was told that I couldn't become a concert pianist or when I was refused the audition to go and study at a a specialist piano school of course it hurt I'd be lying if I didn't say I was upset and there were tears but they were fairly short-lived because I think when you have a disability any disability and in my case obviously a physical and quite a prominent physical disability is in having one less limb than most people um you kind of develop a bit of teflon exterior you know you have a a, 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 a thick outer skin so really i bounce back quite quick from that first negativity and almost use that negativity as i i'll prove you wrong it kind of fired me up even more, made me practice harder. And so when I kept having these, even when I had some success, so when I'd got into the, the Junior Guildhall School of Music and Drama in London, I then had some negativity from teachers and, and head teachers there. Um, when I wanted to progress onto the Royal College of Music, they were kind of wanting to block that. And uh, and I remember, again, feeling that exact same feeling that I, f- I felt when I was like 15 and thinking, you know what? Again, I was upset. There was tears. But actually... I really wholeheartedly trust my gut instinct and believe that I can achieve what I want to achieve. And it made me work harder. That's all it did. It all, the only thing it did was just made me double my practice, in fact. Mm. So I was I was just so, so, so dedicated.
0: Yeah, it motivates you and encourages you. Um, Just about those examples there, I mean, what are your thoughts on, on teachers that literally inspiring the next generation and, the, and they've blocked you in your future dreams and goals and aspirations?
1: It's a funny one with the classical music industry. It's very, very closed and it's very, you know, unless you can tow this primrose path of, you know, this this specific way of doing things, a lot of teachers and institutions, they can't see a different way of doing things. And for me, I was never going to tow that, that path. You know, I started at 14. Most of my contemporaries had played their first concert or concerto with an orchestra by the age of six. And I hadn't even touched a piano at that age. So in that sense, you know, it's, it was never going to be that easy for me and also I was going to do things in a different way they didn't like the media attention I was getting I got a lot of media attention when, when my story first first came out and you know I, I took those opportunities because I wanted to get my name out there and I'm, I'm so, so to this day so thankful I did because you know I don't want to be playing to empty concert halls and so many talented musicians do you know pianists who I hear are absolutely much 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 better than me but they don't no one knows about them because they don't put themselves out there. They don't um, share their story. They don't do the things that I've done. And obviously I had a bit of a, a, a head start because I was, I was unique and I was very different. So that helped in, in getting the story out there and, and what I do out there. Um, but yeah, but unfortunately in the classical world, especially it, it, teachers often don't inspire the next generation as much as we would hope um if, unless it's that person who is who is going to tow that primrose path and become a big star then of course everyone is is there you know celebrating them and 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 taking you know taking credit for that for, for them you know
0: i find that really sad but thinking well re- rejecting what they said to you and obviously you pursued and you went ahead and you graduated from the royal college of music how did that feel when you graduated
1: it was it was an amazing time for me. It really was because I mean, 2012 was just an amazing year because I graduated and um, on my graduation day, my professor Nigel Nigel Clayton rang me and I was in the gown and everything and my phone buzzed and I was in the wings waiting to go on, and uh, and he said, Nick, I've, I've only just realised, but now you've actually are about to graduate in a few minutes. You've now made history in becoming the first ever one-handed pianist to to graduate from the college in their 130 year history which was lovely to find out because of course the four years i was there i didn't even give that a second thought you know um but on on the day it was lovely and then of course the, the press picked up on that so it's quite bizarre having you know the evening standard covering my my graduation and, and things like i would never ever have imagined um, um, imagined when i went into the royal college as a first year student you know i wouldn't imagine the other end of it and um, and then of course you know a few weeks later it was it was a Paralympic closing ceremony and that, that was a, a big thing.
0: Yeah, well, how was that performing with Coldplay? That's another milestone in history as well. Well,
1: it, I mean, it certainly certainly was for me. I doubt I'll ever play in a stadium again, to be honest, you know, classical classical piano isn't, you know, synonymous with playing in stadiums, but it was just an amazing time and again the timing of it only graduating a few weeks before and then this and then all the tv shows that i did around the paralympic closing ceremony you know you couldn't have well i couldn't have asked for a better launch of of me as a graduated pianist you know to come out into the world and say look here i am this is what i do this is who i am um and 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 it, it i couldn't have paid for for that level of coverage so it was it was an amazing time for me and it really did launch my career and that's what what started my international touring was was solely because of the Paralympic Closing Ceremony and my Coldplay performance.
0: It's wonderful to hear because obviously as you stated the teachers you know who who were making life a little challenging for you and, and those obstacles you were facing and then finally when you when you finished and graduated you had such a good send-off like you said to embark your your career in your international touring is there a, a particular country where you really connect with when you go and perform, or they, they respond in the most fantastic way that you could ever imagine?
1: Definitely Asia, definitely. I mean, there's, you know, I've performed in China, South Korea, and Japan, and there, are as we know, such huge, huge, huge different cultures in each of those countries. Um, but they're. they're appreciation Japan was amazing and I love performing there and and their appreciation of music is huge South Korea again I I absolutely loved it and it's different in South Korea because they don't have any disabled stars or people on television or or anything so when I rock up it's very much like oh my god what's this guy so it's very different and I get a lot of people in South Korea coming to my concerts and Bringing their disabled son, daughter as, uh, as that role, because they just don't have the role models that we have in like in this country. we're so like we've got paralympians and we've got so many you know amazing disabled TV presenters and things that we, we see, and we don't really notice it now, which is good, that's what it should be. We shouldn't be looking at people with their disability, but in South Korea sadly they're a little bit behind on that front and then China, I perform in China a lot, I'm over there in may um, that is a different kettle of fish china mm. because it's so huge and each province each part each city is is like its own country so each type of audience is therefore different and so sometimes you you know they're, they're always hugely appreciative but the chinese audiences are quite funny you know i they they won't think anything of answering a phone during <laughs> during really? a performance or something which you know my promoter over there warned me about and it was fine it doesn't bother me because i know that's their culture because luckily they see classical music as we see uh, pop you know it's just normal to them it's not elitist it's not and they feel comfortable enough to to treat a classical concert like they would a pop concert Mm. which really is i i like that that's what i want um you just have to get your head around it because it's very different from the uk so yeah i mean the the asian countries i love and of course i love performing in the uk you know Mm. of course my home my home turf
0: Is there a piece of music that you enjoy playing out in public to people to see their reaction?
1: Yeah, I mean, there was a piece that I did for Classic FM um, online, uh, one of my own arrangements actually, of Rachmaninoff's Prelude in G minor, which is originally a two-handed piece of music, very big piece of Rachmaninoff, quite famous Prelude of his, and uh, I arranged it for Left Hand Alone. And yeah, I, I love playing that. And the video, you know, went kind of semi-viral on Classic FM. And it, it, it's a nice crowd pleaser. You know, I often play it as an encore in my concerts. Um... And yeah, I, I try to play that, you know. It's a bit of a workout there.
0: <laughs> it's wonderful when you're creating your own music as well and being able to share it as well as, yeah, not only playing. Um, so you just um, mentioned accessibility as well. So Attitude Is Everything did a survey of deaf and disabled music artists and 70% said they kept their disability hidden out of concern for it damaging their relationship with a venue, promoter or festival. Does this surprise you in any way? Um,
1: it doesn't surprise me in any way. Obviously with me, it's very hard to hide, you know, the fact you only have one hand. So that's never been, and, and I've been very, pub. you know, very open about being the one-armed pianist. The press branded me one of my first headlines was one-armed pianist. So I've kind of been stamped that straight away. Does it bother me? No, because it's true. I have one arm and I'm a pianist. Um, there's a lot of people who have hidden disabilities that we, you know, we're aware of, and it wouldn't surprise me if they did that, the only time I didn't tell tell people about my disability was my audition for the Junior Guild Hall. I didn't write it on the form. And so when I, the first time they knew I had a disability was when I was through the door because I'd previously been turned down, not at the Guild Hall, a different school, um for an audition, and it was simply on the fact that I had a disability. Wow. So for the guilt audition, I, I purposely didn't disclose so I could get in the door and had an awkward conversation with them in the audition just mm-hmm. to say, I am in the right room. I'm, I want to audition for piano. Um, so, yeah, I, I can completely understand that.
0: Do you think with regards to music applications now that people feel comfortable enough to disclose?
1: I hope so. I know the Royal College of Music have, were fantastic with me. Um, and, and, you know, I, I'm a big advocate for for the RCM and what they did because they'd never had a, a, a pianist like myself, in like, as I mentioned, in their 130 years. So they really had to kind of semi-tailor the, the syllabus to me and I had to also contribute to that and we had to come up with stuff they were so flexible when they needed to be and they were inflexible when they needed to be as well which I was important for me I didn't want to be given a, an easy time you know I wanted to be and, and they really didn't. Um, but there was obviously certain things that I wasn't going to be able to play a Beethoven sonata because he didn't write one for one hand. So, you know, I, I couldn't fulfil that criteria that they were asking. Um, so the RCM, I know, have a very big policy on disability and inclusion, and they're very good with that. And and again, I know they're just continuing to, to, to develop that side of it. Um, so I can only speak for the RCM as as I'm an alumni, but uh, apart from, from them, I hope the others follow suit with with the Royal College of Music.
0: Yeah, it sounds like it was a wonderful compromise and a real supportive environment for you to flourish and thrive in to your to your future, which I mean, is there a few projects on the pipeline? When's your next tour, like you said in May?
1: Yes, yeah, so I'm I'm off to China well, I said end of April off to China, end of April through to May, which is, is exciting. Different cities as well. And I, I'm really excited to go to Chengdu, which is apart from I'm excited to perform to the audiences there. I'm really actually excited because that's where the Panda Sanctuary is, you know, the big Panda Sanctuary oh, <laughs> that's in Chengdu. So I'm quite excited about that. My promoter's <laughs> already blocked two days out so I can go. Um, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to doing that. I've got a, a documentary coming out on Radio 3 later in the year, Fantastic. which I'm very excited about again. And, um, and yeah, just my constant touring. And there's a few other projects which I can't, can't mention, but I, I'm hoping I'm going to go ahead, fingers crossed, And, of course, I'll let you know if if they do. What
0: incredible guy, right? It's so wonderful to hear how he pushed this negativity and used it to aid him to encourage and work even harder. He became more dedicated to his work, and that propelled him to play with Coldplay at the Paralympics in 2012, just a week after he graduated and made music history. How inspiring. My next interview is with the author Vese Agogo Villal-De Wulu about her book Who Do I See in the Mirror by Philly and Friends. As she highlights, in 2017, less than 1% of children's books featured BAME characters, and so she wanted to change this.
2: My daughter inspired me to write the book. Um, so she's two, year, she's two years old now. and growing up, I realized that I didn't see a lot of myself in the books I read. I did read, I read a lot of Enid Blighty and Sweet Valley High, but that was not my reality. Um, and the, the the pictures the kids didn't look like me, but that was all I knew. That was all that was available that was available. And now, as an adult, I had my daughter two years ago, and I realized that we haven't made that much progress. Um, there weren't that many good quality books that featured children that looked like myself or my daughter. Um, as of 2017, only less than one percent of the books, children's books in the UK, featured um, black or minority minority ethnic groups and so i thought i didn't want her to have the experience that i had because a lot of children grew up believing that they were second class just because they didn't see themselves in the books they read the the media they consumed and that sort of thing even the toys they played with and so i wanted to do i wanted to do different i wanted to do better for her i wanted her to have a better experience i wanted her to know that she matters i want kids like her to know that they matter And that's why, that's what inspired me.
0: Yeah, I think it's so important to to see yourself and your family uh, and everyone being represented, not only in books, but also in in wider society, because that's who we are. Yes, that's who we are. The
2: world is so diverse and it's so beautiful. Um, It's so beautiful seeing different people. I mean, even people from my community, we look different. We have different skin tones, different shades. Um, And so it's good to celebrate that. Um, And I think it's also important for other people from other communities to see diversity because it allows them to have a full picture of what the world is the beauty that the color color is beautiful right um difference is beautiful diversity is beautiful and so I think it's um it's important for everyone it's not just people people tend to think it's just for the minority ethnic groups but it's not it's for everyone diversity should be celebrated all around
0: yeah, definitely. And I think we're all born the same way. We all die the same way. We are all, I mean, you cut us and we bleed and we're all the same colour. So,
2: Precisely. And I think that's the important thing in that um, the adults we grow up to be is a combination of the things that we see consume as children. And if you don't see something, you don't understand it. And so you fear it or you hate it or you don't tolerate it. Um, and so if from children, if they're able to see differences from a young age, you grow up to love people to at least understand it and they understand that we're all human inside we're all the same it's uh, just the color of the skin that's different or the hair or the eyes but inside everyone has a desire to be loved to be cherished to be accepted everyone Mm -hmm. yeah and exactly
0: like you said it shapes us to who we are in the future Mm
2: -hmm. and our understanding of the world exactly um And, and not everyone will have the opportunity to travel the world and see different cultures but you have the opportunity to see books from your you either buy them or from your library or Kindle or whatever it might be. And so I think books are such a useful tool to teach the world about tolerance, love and acceptance.
0: And education as well. It's yes. it's an education not only in, in celebrating the diversity of, of our planet, but also education with literacy, which I'll ask about later. But
2: what was the response like to when when your you first launched your book? Um the response I honestly did not expect it, but everyone was so supportive and so welcoming so eager to buy the book they loved it even before they s- they got the copies of the book just the idea of having books with a with diverse character a strong diverse character was just so appealing to people i had a lot of me- i got a lot of messages from black parents, from mixed parents, from Caucasians, just different people saying how important it, it is that they want their children's libraries to be filled with a, a mix, a wide range of people so that they understand who the wo- how the world operates. Um, and yes, and I'm here, I'm speaking to people, um, and media coverage, and I, it's, I just never expected, um, I, I never imagined how, um, how far it would go when I did it. I was doing it just because I felt I saw a gap. And I wanted to. I'm very passionate about self confidence, building, raising children to love themselves from an early age, growth mindset. And so I was doing that for that purpose. Um, but yeah, the reception has been amazing. And your daughter, how she's, how has she responded to it? Um, she's obviously she's still quite young, but then um, watching her open the book the first time was just so amazing. Um, she responded to key scenes in the book. Obviously, bath time because she identifies with that right now, and she started singing her bath song, which was so Aww. sweet. Um, and so it made me realize that children understand. We do. We we forget that they do, but they actually do. They're consuming a lot. And she saw the bath, and she she connected it to her bath time. So she, she they're able to make the link. And so if you introduce them to diversity, they would make the link of of seeing other people. Um, and, um, she loved the scene with Philly and the dad because she loves her dad. She's such a daddy's girl. Mm. Um, and, um, yeah, she loved it. And she acted so many scenes in the book. Like when the, 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 the little girl did the peekaboo, she covered her eyes. Aww. She put her hand on her, on the, her chin. And I have videos of that. And it just made me feel like, we, I think we underestimate the importance of representation. Representation mm. matters so much. Um, children's literature matches a lot and yeah so we need to do better for the new for the new generation yeah
0: well, you're making the steps. I mean, it's a key message which I can see in e- in each page. You're saying, you know, this is me, and there's only one me, and it makes makes the the story so unique. But also, uh, you know, it's reflected in whoever's reading it. I think it's wonderful. At the end, you've got you created a little certificate for for the child who's reading it, saying, "I am
2: unique from from Philly herself." Yes, I did, and yeah, that was one of the things I really wanted to highlight in that. Um we are physical appearance and we, and we can't take from that that's who what you see the first time but um and so the message was love what you are which is a physical appearance but you are much more and that's the book oh I love my thick curly locks and the way it shrinks when I have a bath but I'm not just my hair I am much more and so just putting that in the child's mindset from an early age and then obviously it goes on to say um I am. Um, beautifully made i am wonderfully me i love me it also goes on to say um but what matters most is my good heart and curious mind you know trying to introduce to the child that kindness is is important who you are is important i keep saying that if at the end of the day my children grow up to be kind and loving children and that's all all they are i I will feel feel fulfilled because yes because kindness goes a long way Mm. um having a good heart goes a long way Um, and yeah and I want them to to know that they matter it's so important these little things sum up to the confidence that your child will have as an adult and how they treat others and and yeah so it's a topic i'm so passionate about yeah
0: <laughs> and it's wonderful not only i mean there's so many different elements to to fill in friends yes. but
2: you also have a partnership with uh, books to africa as well yes i do and i and that was very important for me because i i didn't just want to build a brand i wanted to give back and i want to teach my daughter to give back and hopefully other children like her understanding importance of giving back um i i had an experience where a a girl came to live with my parents for a bit and she was 31 she had finished her primary school secondary school but she couldn't read and obviously she she lived in the village um back in nigeria and i just thought to myself how is that possible and obviously it's it's lack of access to books um lack of access to reading and I thought okay I want to do something while I'm empowering children here who have access to books and things like that. I want to empower people to literacy to be able to read I want to make a difference in communities that are disadvantaged and so I work with um, I did research and I absolutely love what the guys from books to Africa do and I work with them to donate books to children in Africa and um, and uh, I think they're expanding to Asia and a few other places now
0: that's wonderful not only you uh educating the world well educating the uk and whoever takes your books and reads them but also on a a more worldwide scale um and you've also got another book in the pipeline as well 40 like brave african women that's incredible who what well who have you found in your research and who would you say is inspired you the most out the, the women so far
2: wow i'm not sure i can see who inspired me the most because they are so amazing um but then I have um Asli Abade, she's the she was the first female African military pilot. Wow. Um, we have Fumlaya some Kuti. Um, she was the First Nigerian woman to drive a car, an activist. She amazing. fought for women's rights, and so there's so many women who have done such amazing things. um There's Tito Betul, and then she was a queen, um, an empress of uh, Ethiopia, and so yeah, just amazing. She was a good um, strategist, military strategist, and just women that have done such amazing things from the con- um, African continent. And I feel like we haven't highlighted achievements from the continent um we haven't highlighted the amazing things and i i particularly chose women because women from the african community have been oppressed um l- just like women from around the world but then in particular and so i just wanted to highlight that african women are beautiful they are brave they're strong and just to use their stories to inspire other children um to dream big to think as far as you can and also um the same way i feel like diverse books are for everyone because everyone can learn from it i also think that it's not just for girls but for boys so that boys can see women in a a good light to see how they can be brave they can be strong you know and obviously the girls have role models to look up to so I, i i want to use the book to tell a positive african story to educate people about who we are as a culture and the things that we've achieved
0: and opens up a conversation as well between gender equality as well. Exactly. So you're opening so many doors there. Yeah. Wow, it's incredible. And finally, last question. I mean, you're not a writer before this this book. I mean, what was it like actually <laughs> writing? And what tips would you give to anyone who feels that they've got a story to tell but yeah. they're
2: unsure of how to share it? Um. Yes. Yeah, so I wasn't. I actually consider myself a math girl. I I did math and further math A levels. Um. And but I always knew. I always wrote. But I did. I underestimated the power of my writing, and then my sister started picking it up to tell me that. obviously "You write really well, if you consider that." But because I saw myself as a maths girl, I just thought, "Okay, I'm. I just didn't take it seriously." Um, and yes, I definitely did. Obviously, at the beginning, the whole imposter syndrome. You think, "Okay, what? Well, what gives me the right to write a book?" Um, but from speaking to people, I have a very supportive husband. Very supportive. Um. Family, my parents, my sisters um they just kept encouraging me and and so I sat down, I had the story in my right head, and I just kept writing it. I wrote it down, and I just kept expanding um um editing you know thinking about different things of ways to make it more appealing to children and so what the advice I'll give you is just do it, wake up, get your laptop, and write wherever you are sometimes i'm with my my phone and I'm just writing stories, writing articles, writing things that come to my head because you write it down and you get an editor I have I worked with a lovely lady um Tamara Fudge and she she did the editing of the book um and I, I did that to make sure that it was child appropriate for the level that I was writing it for so you have to do that um and uh yeah I just wrote and so now it's obviously giving me the courage to do it again um and you can only get better by trying and so if you don't try you never know but if you try you don't get to right the first time you edit it you you try again
0: what an incredible woman not only is she highlighting color difference and diversity is beautiful and should be celebrated but that beauty is not just in looks and it's important to build confidence within children at a young age as well as literacy and education last but not least i speak to jeff else from the action sports school team rubicon we speak about how important skateboarding is in the community changing the stereotype that skateboarding has and the work that Team Rubicon does, inspiring and empowering future generations.
3: I think maybe we're, we're kind of leading the way with this, the whole skateboard school thing in England at the moment. But obviously back when I was younger, like 15 years ago, there was a couple of other guys from the St Albans area doing it, um, but we are just, just in a local area. And obviously I was a little tiny grommet of a skateboarder. who just looked up to all the older guys in the videos, and one of them was doing a skate school in St Albans. And, uh, Rodney Clark, for those who might know him, and I thought, that's an amazing job and obviously I was still too young at school then and then I grew up a little bit and had a chat with him and I thought why, why is no one doing this across the whole country because surely it's the best job in the world so actually I wasn't the very very first but maybe current industry maybe we're probably the, the leaders and
0: forefronting
3: yeah so mm-hmm. it, it, yeah that, and we never expected that It all started with just the local council in Winchester came into the skate shop and asked can anyone could someone just do like a one-hour workshop for part as part of a fate the you know the community fair they have every year we didn't have any insurance or anything. We'd like, yeah, yeah. If you want to, want us to run a workshop, then we'll do it. And obviously after that, I was like, definitely the best job in the world. So that's how it was. how it, was, how it all got started. And then now it's like 13 years on. We have employees. I never thought I'd be a person who had employees <laughs> and we have paperwork stacked up. Before, like spent almost spend more time on your laptop now than you do skateboarding, which is something we have to. You have to work very hard to keep the skateboarding balance. Cause it's, but yeah, we're leading leading the way for now. But there there are a few others who are definitely. Maybe started the, the industry, the concept of teaching skateboarding.
0: So, is that what inspired you in the first place for someone to come in and, and give you that opportunity? Or was it your passion for skateboarding first that installed it? And when did you fall in love with skateboarding?
3: Skateboarding, uh, I think I was about like 12 when I started skateboarding. And it's something I tried because my brother's friend my brother's a little bit older, and his friends were doing it at school, and I saw his friends doing it. But before that, I tried. I think I, I played golf for Hampshire for about a month. You know, after and then I did some tennis and did, did judo and did a few school contests and did quite well in them. But every time I did well in something, I'd stop. I'm not sure why. I, I liked all the sports. I don't remember why I stopped. I was like, then I tried skateboarding, and there's there's no end to it. There's considerably. There's too many tricks to learn. There's, there's always a bigger trick. there's always a bigger stunt. There's always a bigger obstacle. And I think maybe that's what appealed to me because you can't ever win it. But like. There's, there's so many angles you go with this answer, but when you're down the skateboard you're seeing people every day There's no one try, down there trying t- 10% 50% you're, you're either doing 100 or, you, or you're not skateboarding It's like you have to try the same trick 100 times 1,000 times just to do it once and then the next time it takes you 900 times and the following time and you, you're trying it so often so after a while like it's like it Doesn't phase you like nothing phases. if you have a hard tips, if someone sets a challenge I'm not sure what challenge you'd have but build this house like not as hard as skateboarding so I'm happy to give it a go nothing is as hard as skateboarding so.
0: it's that challenging though it's so hard because you're literally falling, falling on the ground all the time and picking yourself up it's challenging physically challenging emotionally challenging and mentally to overcome that obstacle I mean how do you keep doing that because I've always been a bit scared to go on a skateboard i can go on a snowboard i can go on a surfboard but it's the skateboard it's the gravel aspect that terrifies me how how are you just would you would just go a bit relentless and you you had the courage when you were younger or?
3: it's uh, again lots, lots, lots of good ways you could take that um why why we do it it's really i guess it's just personally rewarding again w- once you know how hard some of these tricks are it's pretty cool to, be, to know like you've done that you're in this tiny i, have, I haven't got a real figure that's like this 0.001 percent of the world People who can do that trick, because a lot of people will never get there. That's that difficult. After a couple of years, you uh, the way I try and make jokes and fun way of telling the kids this at schools, so I basically tell the kids that after a, week, a year, you'll you'll feel immortal because you will fall off every day, and don't worry about falling off. Everyone falls off. It's just, just part of learning to skate. And it doesn't it doesn't sell that to teachers, but, but <laughs> I think kids understand. Kids always fall over playing football and stuff. Yeah, exactly. But with skateboarding, you fall off every day. Like I said mm-hmm. little, little tiny bumps Almost, every day, mostly nothing. Occasionally a big injury, but you, you get up, you carry on. And, yeah.
0: Let's talk about the incredible work that you guys do. I mean, the that the, you work with schools, you work with councils, like you said, you do fates, you do festivals. Would, would you mind just highlighting the kind of variety that, that Team Rubikin does?
3: So I think, I think I think if we had to give us a single focus, it's, it all started with the work in the schools. And like I said, we're going, well, I, I go in there with the idea that my skateboarding is going to be my medium on how I connect with the kids. Obviously, you're basically giving them a toy and, asking them to have fun so it's a really good way so you know it, it, if we do a few bit a few cool tricks a bit of showing off it's crazy to talk to them and think oh this guy this guy cool. seen got i've seen i've seen guys like this on social it's media cool. and stuff <laughs> yeah so all, all of a sudden you, if, if you can without trying to sound too cheesy give them maybe a few bits of dare i say it, like, not like yeah life advice like i like said like i always tell them getting things wrong is fine especially if you're going to get things wrong loads of that time don't give up that's not because you're bad you're just a beginner so i think that's my kind of one of my favorite things is giving Young people, a few bits of advice that maybe hopefully a few will listen to, and you've done a good job for young people. And then moving on from that, we, we looked at how can we work with people who are already skate, who are not in school, people are already quite confident. So we started up the skate camps, which is basically the, a five day road trip. When I was little, I wanted to go on these trips with these older guys. Like, look at all the trips they're doing. They're going to Bristol, they're going to Manchester, they're going to Barcelona. Like, how do I do that? And I thought, why do we just run ki- trips for kids? So these guys now they come from all over the world. To our camps, and we basically put them, in, put them in minibuses, travel around the country for five days, and then give them back to their parents, and it's like, a, Amazing. yeah, so it's a very different style, they and they can already ride, so they're already very capable to riding the skate and so the skate we go to, in, in the schools, it's just a flat playground, So all you need to keep it safe, you know, make, make make sure they have achievable goals in the school, so they get, they go away, even if they've just done two or three tricks, like, yeah, I've done something, but with the older camp guys, they need to be able to be challenged, so we go to the UK's best skate parks. So so that's cool. nice and then, and then there's a slightly more corporate side which is like doing events like do birthday parties I did one the other day birthday night. parties it's the greatest job in the world probably birthday but it is it's way more laid back than the school there's loads less paperwork and red tape you basically got to entertain kids which basically means can you show off for an hour <laughs> and teach my kids some stuff and then you give them a toy and they'll they get mini skate with little tech deck skateboards Fun. have you seen those? yeah yeah like I said they're still massive and Fun.
0: That's incredible, though. And you've been to a lot of skate parks as well all over the UK. What would you say are the best ones and why? Uh,
3: My team say I'm a skate park encyclopedia.
0: Oh, really? All
3: I've done since I was 18 is travel and bought a car straight away just so I could uh, go and see all the parks. What, top, top favourites. So in Northampton, there's one called Radlands. There's one in Sirencester. Amazing.
0: Why is it amazing?
3: Design. Yeah, uh, it all comes to design. You can, have a, you can have a really tiny park if it's designed well; it's great fun. If you try and put too much in, or there's not enough variety, you can you can lose or lose the aspect. Like anything new tends to be really good. But uh what else do I like? Tame near Oxford, really good. Ramp One, Warrington, and adrenaline alley in Corby like these are our favorites were yeah nice you're great one.
0: you know loads yeah <laughs> M-
3: Milton Keynes has a uh they turned the old bus station into like a undercover skate spot very famous mm. oh there's the my stoke-on-trent was one of the first outdoor plazas like a plaza is these are uh, basically outdoor concrete parks which replicate a lot of street things you see in the street in the city mm. they kind of replicate the spots maybe try and get us out of the pedestrian areas maybe but <laughs> but the concept's great it's what we're looking for so yeah there's there's endless man they are. There's tons of so many cool little projects too. There's Spit and Sawdust in Cardiff, it's a little tiny indoor skate park run by a guy called Christian. Best cafe ever. If anyone's listening, <laughs> if you're in Wales in Cardiff, go to the Spit and Sawdust for a good meal and watch some cool guys skate.
0: Yeah, oh, that's incredible. But
3: yeah, you can go on Mount Hawk down in Cornwall. There's just endless prime in Plymouth, and there's just Exeter, Exeter now has maybe three new parks. Again, all slightly different, so really catering for every not just skateboarding the bikers the scooter riders everything and, and guys that are five year olds are trying to get into skateboarding it can be daunting so having these big parks and a variety means there should be something they can learn on somewhere and also for the older guys who are 20 30 who are pretty good they're big big obstacles too so the country that the last 10 years has been crazy all the old metal parks which i grew up on have been taken out and these new concrete ones are going in and that's, uh, that's a big up to any council who has ever helped with a project like that the council workers who have to put a lot most of the hard work in don't get a lot of thanks mm. but deep down we all we all care for them a lot because they're the ones they're the ones we need to get it through like all this uh, there's a lot of user groups around the country who want it but can we have the uh we're the ones that want them but we don't know how to get them and then the council worker has to then who might who's a lot of time you'll find one or two who get on board with the project and they're really keen but they don't know the industry so it's right really, the, the two have got to work together and communicate mm. he's got to explain like structure and Tenders and all these sort of things, the paperwork, and we're trying to we're trying to explain why we need it, and, and it's important too because you know skateboarding is awesome and people don't know about it. It's pretty easy to uh, criticize, I guess. I'm not it, it can be noisy. It does skate parks do it? They are cool places to hang out for people who don't skate, doing the things we then get associated with, like, like smoking and stuff. It happens. It's it's not going to change. I don't think, because, but it, it it can. Like if, once you get to know the, the user group, mm. like down at Winchester, we had a. Uh, a, cap, a, little, a a little, cupboard put in, like a metal cupboard put in by the skate park. Inside was a broom, a squeegee, a first aid kit, I guess spare helmet and set of pants and stuff. And about ten guys had keys. So, wow, so, that's amazing. And again, like, like, like those people will look after it. We want it. Like if if we, if we don't give the the adults any reason to come down, they don't need to come down. We'll police that. We'll look after ourselves. Look after the young guys. You know, when they fall off, like we 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 know all the parents. I'm thirty five, so all the parents know who we are. Like just if they get in trouble we can just give them, give them a buzz oh your kid's falling off come and get them huh. we, we, don't, we don't, don't need the ambulance we don't need the police or anything the council can trust us We then we have one tiny bit of graffiti on our park and it's been about four or five years And then we encourage you like, as, soon as, as soon as someone does something stupid whether it's just a bad drawing or something yeah. a bit more grotesque like I'll paint over it And no, no, we haven't had any graffiti for about four years because people know if they try it, I'm going to paint over it straight away.
0: It's an important sense of community and I think it's so much better to have your kids in the local park, integrating and socialising with other local kids, getting outside and doing sport, than sitting inside in their room playing computer games. I think it's a, a huge difference. I mean, it's frustrating that you have to deal with these negative stereotypes and obviously you're doing a fantastic job in your own community. I mean, how can we get other people to understand that it's it's not the whole cart, it's just a few apples?
3: I think that's probably, I don't think I'd be special in that respect. I think that's probably quite, I think if anyone skateboards for a little while, you become, uh, skateboarding in your community comes, it's a, like I said, the community aspect is huge. It's one of the best reasons to get into skateboarding because I think like, going back to one of the first questions, you, you try things, you, you end up working, well, skating with your friends, including the, the older and younger age groups who skate there. You know them so well. I think if I asked a favour from anyone I skate with in Winchester, they'd probably do it. And it's like yeah it's like having like I literally I always refer to them, like my family. You got mum and dad, my brother. But if I say family, I mean every single guy I skate with too. Like they're on the same level. So, but I think that's probably the same. I don't think it's just Winchester. I think there's a lot of places that are like that. And I think they'll I think they'll do. I think mm-hmm. that just by them being them, the stereotype will die eventually on some level it's in the olympics now so we're gonna how do you feel about it uh i'm on i'm on the yes campaign myself i think overall it will benefit skateboarding for sure 100 percent yeah of course um skateboarders are always just going to be skateboarding you can doesn't matter what changes if going to olympics if someone puts a ramp on the moon it's just it's gonna (laughs) gonna stay skateboarding all the time you can't change it because it's bigger than all of us it's like we like. For what it gives us, I think, I think we, we, we owe skateboarding. Skateboarding doesn't really owe us anything. But yeah, it's in the Olympics, I think that's good, you know, uh, it's, a, oh, it's a bit of a, just a standard answer. It's just going to put us in the limelight. It's going to show more of the, uh, the more of the best, I guess, of the skateboarders. It's going to be quite well structured, which is good. Uh, it's going to interest young people as well as families, businesses. The more money will get pumped into it. The governing body will get more funding. It means let better parks, more events. More coaches, so it's very typical. It's gonna spiral from the top down slowly. It might might not. It might be slow, but it'll happen, and it'll just mean everyone. More people will get the benefit. All the rubbish I've been talking about for the last half hour. <laughs> everyone, everyone will get more people will benefit from that, and that's only a good thing because it's it is just a very positive sport.
0: This is the future. You said it's developed so much in ten years, and now in another ten years, who knows? You know, yeah. it's exciting. And last question, what is the future like for Team Rubicon? And I think you're Director of Skateboarding England, is that uh, correct? Yeah, one of the,
3: one of the directors. Um, yes. uh, I wasn't there right at the start and then I got elected in, which was really nice. I, like that. I, I wanted to be more involved. I saw uh, if anyone needs or wants to talk about skateboarding on, on a governing body level, a national level, Lucy Adams is our chairperson and she works at least 25 hours a day on this. Uh, and James Hope Gill is kind of our and CEO they're like, well, the CEO guy. Again, those those two do the majority of the work and we all seem to get a lot of the credit, but those two, they're the ones with all the details and they're going to, i ever see, it's emails meeting after meeting, they're meeting with London Sport, they're doing Sheffield disabled groups, they're doing, they're working everywhere, they're going over to Europe to talk about how the Olympics will be set up, Team GB. Uh, You've probably seen Sky Brown and Telly, like what a good time to get a great female role model. Like 11, 11-year-olds 11 doing, yeah, right. doing, doing, <laughs> doing back 11-year-old doing doing Again, I tell I tell every every school I go to now like, like this is this is this is the future. As where I want to go with 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 what we're doing. Uh, it'd be great to have our own like center, our own uh, venue. You know, as a little kid, the first thing you want to do is own your own skate park or skate shop. That's pretty much the dream. As soon as you pick up a board, like I want to work in a skate shop. So yeah, we're we're trying, we're trying we're trying to buy land just down the road at the moment four acres of land to start up a, a new venue. Again, uh, part of that land would be for Training facility for the people in the Olympics because we have a lot of good skate parks good for what we refer to as street where one aspect of the Olympics is called street which is a lot of them um, like wooden seats, stairs and rails and stuff. There's also park which is what Sky Brown rides most of the time. Is uh it's like the big bowls and we don't I don't I don't think it's a single facility currently in England which is like almost like Olympic standard. We have a lot of great bowls all over the case. So I think a lot of skate parks have big bowls, but, good, but it's a uh, almost like a whole another level. And I guess they probably don't build them because. Not many, people, not many people could use them, because they're literally too advanced mm-hmm. you know, until, you, until you've got those sort of skills. So yeah, we're hoping to get our own venue. Uh, I guess from there, the that, 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 that possibilities are endless.
0: What a lovely, humble guy. I hope you take away his fire, his enthusiasm for skateboarding. And if you're listening and you're not sure what your passion is, then I implore you to go out and find it, find what sets your soul on fire, just like Jeff has with skateboarding. Well, that's it for my first episode from my second series of Let's Go Kick Ass today. Thank you for listening and thank you to my fabulous guests. Please feel free to subscribe, comment, rate and share. I'm Vicky Carter
2: and you keep kicking ass.